Hey guys, Pastor Jurgen here. I'm so glad you're tuning into one of our powerful messages that is guaranteed to absolutely elevate your life to another level. At Awaken, we only want to preach fresh, real, powerful to help you grow stronger in your walk with God, develop your faith so you can take more territory. I'm praying that God blesses you and enriches your soul as you listen to this amazing word from God. God bless you. I have a word that I want to bring to you this morning that I believe is a prophetic now word for our church. I'm going to be sharing. We're going to, we're going to have a little Bible study this morning. Are you ready? But it's going to be interesting because I've got my low heel shoes that I can run and I've got splits in the sides for good movement. I'm going to be retelling you with some principles that we can apply to our own lives from the story of Jonah from the story of Jonah, an entire nation turned to God when Jonah came with the message of the Lord. And the great thing about the Bible is every story is never just one principle, it's multiple principles. You could could read the Bible in a year for every year of your life and still not fully plumb the depths of the revelation that can be found within its pages. And God has this amazing way of writing a story, telling a story that speaks to everybody and then somebody all at the same time. He sees the cities, he sees the multitudes, he sees the crowds, and he also sees us within the midst of it. So this is not just a message about Nineveh. This is a message and a story about a prophet, a rebellious prophet by the name of Jonah that you might find, like I found, we can have a lot in common with. Can somebody say amen? So I preached too long in the first service. That's probably why you were annoyed when you were trying to park your car. My apologies. So I'm going to, I'm going to dispense with any more pleasantries and get straight to the text. You ready? All right. Jonah chapter 1. I'm going to start reading in verse 1. The Lord gave this message to Jonah, son of Amittai. Now, Amittai means truth. Jonah was the son of truth. Get up and go to the great city of Nineveh. Announce my judgment against it because I have seen how wicked its people are. God looks about the earth and he watches over the evil and the good. But Jonah got up and went in the opposite direction to get away from the Lord. Yep, everybody say, "Uh uh-oh. I'm sure none of you have ever done that, but we'll carry on. (laughs) He went down to the port of Joppa. And trust me, every time you run away from the Lord, you're always going down. And there he found a ship leaving for Tarshish. He bought a ticket and went on board, hoping to escape from the Lord by sailing to Tarshish. But the Lord hurled a powerful wind over the sea, causing a violent storm that threatened to break the ship apart. Fearing for their lives, the desperate sailors shouted to their gods for help and threw the cargo overboard to lighten the ship. But all this time, Jonah was sound asleep down in the hold. I don't know if he took an Ambien. I don't know what's going on. But everyone else is fighting for their lives, and our boy Jonah is sleeping. So the captain went down after him, understandably. How can you sleep at a time like this? Get up and pray to your God. Maybe he will pay attention to us and spare our lives. Isn't it interesting 
that in a crisis and in a storm, even unbelievers suddenly start to find their prayer voice. Then the crew cast lots to see which of them had offended the gods and caused the terrible storm. When they did this, the lots identified Jonah as the culprit. Why has this awful storm come down on us, they demanded. Who are you? What is your line of work? What country are you from? And what is your nationality? All questions that we're not meant to ask people at this current stage in history, ironically. (laughs) Jonah answered, I am a Hebrew and I worship the Lord, the God of heaven, who made the sea and the land. The sailors were terrified when they heard this because they clearly feared God even more than Jonah did because he had already told them that he was running away from the Lord. Oh, why did you do it? They groaned, why? And since the storm was getting worse all the time, they asked him, what should we do to you to stop this storm? Throw me into the sea, Jonah said. And now before you start to feel like he's a hero, I want to let you know in the four short chapters of Jonah's story, we see that Jonah has a little bit of a death wish. He either asks God to kill him or asks to die or throws himself or gets thrown overboard multiple times in this story. Throw me into the sea, Jonah said, and it will become calm again. I know this terrible storm is all my fault. How many of you, like me, have noticed that God rarely has to ask you to do the things that you actually want to do? Like in my lifetime, do you know how many times God has had to ask me, Leanne, go to the mall and buy stuff. (laughs) Roger that, Lord. Send me. I will go. Tink, tink. Like it's, it's never happened. I'm going on my own. I don't need the word of the Lord. I get in my car and it kind of like auto drives to Westfield, okay? Usually when God has to ask us to do something pointedly, it's something that we'd prefer not to do. And this was true in Jonah's case. He hated the Ninevites. He didn't like them at all. The Ninevites represented the greatest enemy of God on earth at that time. They weren't just savage. They would kill you and then they would put your body on display. They were famous for their cruelty, their violence, their paganism. They worshipped a female god. Hello, the future is female, started in Nineveh. So these were the kind of people that God had asked Jonah to send a message to. And instead of obeying God as the mouthpiece of God, the Bible says that he got on a boat and he sailed 2,500 miles in the opposite direction. Now the journey to Nineveh, however, was 500 miles by land. Have you ever noticed that disobeying God usually takes way more effort than obeying him? I have found that to be true. And not only that, you usually have to pay way more than you ever wanted to pay. And this is where we find Jonah. But that's not the crux of this story because I want to say to you today, no matter how disobedient we are, God will create a storm and send a fish because he is determined while there was still breath in our lungs that we would be people who would give him our yes. Now, people will wrongly say, well, God's a gentleman, and listen, God is a gentleman. But do you know that God is also a jealous God? And he's not jealous of you. 
He's jealous for you. I put an assignment and a mandate on your life to make a difference in this world. And you can run, but you can't hide. And I will create a storm that will even impact those around you. So you will wake up and smell the fish guts and see that as long as there is breath in your lungs, I am pursuing you. This is the kindness of God. If we're disobedient and we make a mistake, the loving heart of God is he's going to chase after us. And Jonah had that firsthand revelation, you know, even before maybe he had read the psalm by King David, oh God, where can I flee from your spirit? Where can I hide from your presence? Behold, even in hell you are there. If I make my bed in the depths of hell, if I'm cast into the lower parts of the ocean, behold, your presence is there. You cannot run away from God. You can't, and Jonah learned that lesson the hard way. How beautiful is God that he will not let us be disobedient without some contest. And you've got to ask yourself today, if you're in major disobedience and you're not living in a storm and a fish hasn't swallowed you yet, you've got to ask yourself, Am I, have I given my life to God? Am I God's kid? Because if disobedience is easy, you're kind of in a bit of a scary place. So from this story, I want to bring four points and I want, to, I want to just share some principles that I believe that God is speaking to our church. You're going to find yourself in some of them. You may even find yourself in all of them, but I believe that this is a message for everybody and somebody today. So are you ready? Yeah. Lean in, strap yourselves in. The first thought I want to bring from this story is this. Take responsibility for the storm. This storm is all my fault, Jonah said, and rightly so. How many of you have noticed that in 2020, we woke up and we're in a storm? And for many years, unlike the church of maybe 200 years ago, that, I mean, the church was in everything 200 years ago. They were in hospitals. They were the one who started hospitals. They were in education. They were involved in politics, not, not like the church was like cauliflower. They're in everything. <laughs> Have you noticed? Every time you go to a restaurant now, cauliflower rice, cauliflower mash, cauliflower, cauliflower, cauliflower. Cauliflower <laughs> is in everything. 200 years ago, the church was in everything. But a couple of generations ago, we extracted ourselves from our place of influence and our mandate to make disciples, and we believed wrongly the fraudulent lie that the church should stay and remain in its four walls and look at the storm that's happened. The issues we're currently facing in our schools, the issues we're facing in our universities, even in the medical industry, you name it, the places where Christians have removed their salt and their light have become dark and stormy. But thank God we've awakened from our slumber and we may have not caused the storm, I understand that, but we are gonna take responsibility for it. Charles Finney, a reverend, said this, and I think it's so poignant for our world today. Our preaching will bear its legitimate fruits. If immorality prevails in the land, the fault is ours to a great degree. Let us not ignore this fact, but be thoroughly awake to our responsibility in respect 
to the morals of this nation. The sailors in this particular story ask some really significant questions that I think are not superfluous to the situation. They're actually very, very pertinent. Who are you, Jonah, and what is your job? It's a question, question that you and I in this season all need to ask ourselves. Who are we in God? And what is our assignment? Jonah then had the audacity to say, I am a Hebrew, I fear God. Oh, really? You just sailed 2,500 miles in the other direction when he asked you to do something you didn't want to do. I don't know how much fear of God there actually is. And then he said, I serve... I serve the God of land and sea. you got to be thinking to yourself. These sailors are about to be killed by the sea, but they've got a man on their boat who serves and knows the God of the land and the sea. So we're about to be killed by the sea and you know the God of the sea, then why aren't you helping? I wonder if the world today, as we say, see Christians sometimes have a whole lot of declarations about who they are, but no actions to back it up. And we're living in a world right now that understands we are in a spiritual storm. So, so Jonah, I mean, the sailors who were on Jonah's boat, who were transporting him to Tarshish, are doing everything they know how to do in their own strength to stop the storm, to no avail. Till eventually they realise we've rowed, we've tossed off cargo, we have tried everything we know to do and it's not working. This is a spiritual storm. And they come to Jonah and he says, I worship the God of the sea. He has access to the answers, but they're about to perish in the sea. This is the assignment and the commission of the church. We have a world out there that's been caught in a storm and we wake up to a generation of precious young people who are significantly confused in their God-given identity. Anxiety and fear abounding, confusion wherever you go, hatred and violence. Could it be that we have been neglectful at the point of our responsibility to do the very thing that God commissioned and assigned us to do? Here's a story I want to share to illustrate this point. Last time I was in New Zealand, many, many years ago, uh, I heard a story about some Japanese fishermen who were stationed in Auckland Harbour to catch a particular kind of fish in the New Zealand waters. Anyway, they were getting these mass reports of like an astounding, unusual amount of Japanese fishermen turning up at the ER covered in stab wounds, bleeding and bruised and like just like inordinate amounts of these Japanese fishermen turning up at ER all beat up. So social services gets involved. They're like, we've got to investigate this. What, what the heck's going on down at the wharf with these Japanese fishermen? Anyway, so they go down and they investigate only to find out that when the fish weren't biting, when the Japanese fishermen weren't catching fish, they drank too much and they started fighting and stabbing each other. I know. True for the Japanese fishermen, true for the church. When we aren't about our assignment, catching fish, we end up wasting our time, drinking too much, and fighting one another. 
If we're not on our assignment, we end up fighting the wrong people and stabbing people we shouldn't be stabbing. So can I tell you today, if you're drinking too much and you're involved in several dramas, I dare say you go into Tarshish instead of heading to Nineveh and you've put down the assignment that God has put on your life. It's time for us to take responsibility for the storm. Amen, Leanne. And I think when believers, when pastors put down their assignment to, to preach the whole gospel, go into the whole world and make disciples, when we fail to do what God has commissioned us to do, the, the storm is just a matter of time. And the woke preaching of maybe one generation ago is now bearing its legitimate fruits. And maybe it's not our fault, but God is asking us today, especially this week, will you take responsibility for the storm? There are innocent suffering. The sailors were innocent. They didn't ask for this to happen. This was because of Jonah's disobedience, but unfortunately they were caught up in the whirlwind of everything he didn't do that God had called him to do. Right now we're in a time and a season where we have the awesome privilege of making decisions and taking responsibility for the storm. So we leave an America for the next generation is way better, way better than the one that was left for us. Can somebody, can somebody say a big old amen? Turn to the person next to you and say, amen, that was a word, that was a whole word. All right, now that was the spicy one, okay? It's gonna get spicy again, but right now I'm gonna give you a little breather, okay? Point number two, go where the people are. Jonah chapter three. And, and look, even, I mean, I gotta tell you, how magnificent is God? Jonah thinks he can get out of going to Nineveh by allowing himself to be tossed into the sea. Jonah, you're gonna die. How romantic, tragedy and romance together, look at you throwing yourself overboard to, to, to save the ship. But God's like, nope, Jonah, I'm not letting you out of it that easy. Goop. Yeah. Along comes a fish and he's put into his own private altar call. <laughs> the smelliest time out of all time so he can think about what he's done. And it's in the belly of a whale. He has a repentive moment. And even then, God didn't let him off. He didn't die and decay in the belly of a whale. God spits him up on the shore of his destiny, Nineveh. And then the Bible says this in Jonah 3. Then the Lord spoke to Jonah a second time. And maybe today the word you need to hear is that our God is a God of second chances. And you know what? Even third chances, as long as there is breath in your lungs, God has got another chance and another day for you to fulfill what He's asked you to fulfill. Get up and go to the great city of Nineveh. See, the call and the assignment and the mandate didn't change. And deliver the message I have given you. This time Jonah obeyed. Whew, thank God the Lord's command, and went to Nineveh, a city so large that it took three days just to see it all. I want to say to you today that when God sends a message, He doesn't just send a message, He sends a messenger. He didn't say to Jonah, I want you to write the message on a scroll, walk in under cover of night, fling it into the city square, and then run back and jump back into the whale's mouth. He didn't say that. He said, I want you to walk 
And he made it so like you have to walk through. I want you to see the people. I want you to experience what they experience. I want you to feel what they feel. I want you to see what they see. I want you to get some perspective of how these people live and maybe why they do the things they do. When God sends a message, he doesn't just send a message, he sends a messenger. San Diego is our village. We're not just called to bring a message from an ivory tower. We are called to be messengers. We are called to go where the people are. And quite often in church, we can get so enamored with our little awakened bubble and think everybody thinks like we think or has maybe had the background or the experience with God that we've had. Wrong. And we will miss it every time and we will have the wrong spirit with, with people that God loves if we don't engage with the people in our city. You don't need to go to Africa to find a cause. There is a cause right here. It's called your neighbour. I, I love my husband because he lives this. He lives this. I would say we live this, but I'm going to talk about him. I, I swear, if most of the waiters that we meet become Christians, not because Jürgen's preaching at him, but because he carries the message of God in the skin of a messenger that shines the love of the Lord. And isn't that exactly what God did when he sent Jesus? And the word became flesh and dwelt among us and we beheld his glory and his grace. Amazing. When God had a message to send the world, he didn't just send a message, he sent a messenger. And he hasn't stopped sending messengers. You and I are messengers to this world that needs to see more than just a page out of the Bible. They need to see the Bible at work in you. They will... No, we are Christians by our love, by our love. They will know we are Christians by our love. Let me tell you a funny story. Jürgen and I are obsessed with Indian food. Obsessed. <laughs> Is there a better meal than tikki masala with that naan bread, lots of it, infusions of garlic and rice? Not really. And so, of course, Jürgen and I were big foodies. So we used to go to Indian restaurant, an Indian restaurant called Passage to India, like once a week. And we would go. And of course, you know, we walk in. Jürgen just doesn't sit down and discreet. He's like becomes best friends with everybody immediately. Like in every mouthful of food he's eating is like the best mouthful of food he's ever eaten. And he's encouraging. And it's not phony, it's genuine. It is who he is. And so the, the wait staff are just obsessed with him. And so we come in, it's like we're VIPs, we're scurried to the corner and we get an extra special seat right next to Vishnu, the elephant god with all the arms. And they're bringing us extra chutney and extra things and the, the chef is coming out from the back and getting photos with him and like they make way for the VIP. But then we decided to go, we went to Australia for a vacation for a month and so we weren't at Passage to India for a whole month. And unbeknownst to us, they were like, where are they? Where's our favourite customers? So we come back from Australia and Jürgen and I are walking through our local centre, the, the 4S Commons, and we see this car just like coming toward us and screeching to a halt about 10 feet away, a black Mercedes. And this head just pokes out. And lo and behold, it's the waiter from Passage to India. And he yells out, 
Passage to India! Passage to India! Where have you been? We miss you! <laughs> we have some people that may not come to church, but we can bring the church to them. And I'm telling you, that's how we save a city. Revival came to Nineveh because not just a message showed up, but a messenger. San Diego is our mission field. I mean, we've had some of the greatest harvest just from, from eating at our local places. Yeah. During the uh, unconstitutional lockdowns of 2020 and 2021, yeah. we, Jürgen and I made a point of going to our local community yeah. and making sure they felt the love and we would order to-go food and a tip extra big whenever we were able just to make sure they knew that we loved them. None of these people were Christians. None of them were believers. And they would hug us and they've never been to our church. They still haven't been, but they would call us, oh, my pastor, my pastor, my pastor. And even just last night at one of our favourite Italian places, Pacero Mio, uh, the waiter, Paolo, who we love and have formed a great relationship with, came over and just threw his arms around us and said, I love you guys, I love you guys, because we'd been praying for his girlfriend who they'd, she'd been diagnosed with a lump, a cancerous lump in her body, and she just got it completely all clear after we'd been praying for her for months. People may not come to church, but you can bring the church to people. God doesn't just send a message, he sends a messenger, someone with skin on. Do you know the only Bible some people may ever read is your life? And your witness, a whole city was saved. And you know, it's not hard. If you walk into a place and you're smiling, you're already, you're already in the 1%. If you're not arrogant and jerky and demanding and behaving like a bee with an itch, you're already in the top 1%. If you tip good, you're in the top 0.5%. If you leave an encouraging word, if you say an encouraging thing, oh baby, you have reached the supreme. It's actually not difficult to show the love of God. Go where the people are. We cannot be disengaged from the people that we're called to minister to. And this message was about Nineveh, but was also about Jonah. You're not just a carrier of God's word. You are a carrier of God's presence. Ironically, Jonah was the son of Amittai, the son of truth, but Jonah's name meant peace, dove, reconciler. Let me tell you when the truth and the peace and the spirit of reconciliation collide in somebody, revival and salvation are the outcome. Go where the people are. Get amongst it, my friends. We got a city to save. Somebody needs to say amen. Amen, Leanne. Point number three, don't compromise the message. I'm going to take a little bit of a turn here. Jonah chapter three, verses four to 10. Jonah began by going a day's journey into the city, proclaiming 40 more days and Nineveh will be overthrown. Then an amazing thing happened. The Ninevites believed God, a fast was proclaimed, and all of them, from the greatest to the least, put on sackcloth. When Jonah's warning reached the ears of the king, the top dog, he rose from his throne, took off his robes, that's some humility right there, covered himself with sackcloth and sat down in the dust. This is the proclamation he issued in Nineveh. By the decree of the king, 
and his nobles, do not let people or animals, herds or flocks, taste anything. Do not let them eat or drink, but let people and animals be covered with sackcloth. Let everyone call urgently on God. Let them give up their evil ways and their violence. Who knows? God may yet relent and with compassion turn from his fierce anger so that we will not perish. When God saw what they did and how they turned from their evil ways, he relented and did not bring on them the, the, the destruction that he had threatened. Jonah preached a five-word sermon, didn't sugarcoat it, but didn't add anything to it. And the result was an entire nation repenting and turning to God. Point number three, don't compromise the message because if we compromise the message, we compromise the outcome. Can you imagine if Jonah turned up into Nineveh and he was woke? He travels two days into Nineveh. Attention, everybody. Okay, he still smells of fish guts. Remember this. He's just been spat out of a whale. His hair is probably bleached, maybe a little like Pastor Jürgen's from the bile of the whale's belly. And yet, imagine if he had walked in and said, intention Nineveh, I've traveled 2,500 miles in the wrong direction, and then back again to be here with you to tell you the word of the Lord is, everything's fine. Everything's fine. God understands why you are the way you are. He just wants to be your non-judgmental friend. Everybody come in close for a hug. Do you really think that the nation would have had the turnaround that it had, had Jonah compromised the message? My friends, we always need to operate in the spirit of truth and peace, mercy and kindness, but we don't get to compromise the message. We don't get to change the message. We don't get to sugarcoat it and we don't need to add to it our condemnation, our scorn and our judgment. The truth is what the truth is. I think it was Augustine who said, the truth is like a lion. Let it out and it will defend itself. We don't need to add our certain twist on the truth. We don't need to be God's PR person in the sense of we need to try to make him look better. But we also don't need to make him look worse by adding our particular edge of judgment and criticism and condemnation on the words that he said. The truth is enough. Don't compromise the message. The other beautiful thing about what happened in this story is that there was a time frame attached. And we need to be really aware of that. Yet 40 days and Nineveh will be overthrown. Remember, we have a me message that actually has an expiration date. There will come a day, and we don't even know if it's tomorrow, where the sky will split. And the Bible says that Jesus will return with the host of heaven on the clouds of heaven, and he will collect all those who belong to him. It's going to be a real day, my friends. As real as today feels, this earth will end, this world will end, and there will be a great sifting between those who belong to him and those who don't. Our message is urgent. Our message is vital. We don't get to compromise the message, and we have to understand that there is a time frame attached to it. We're not mean with it. We're not callous. 
We're not uncaring. That's why we engage with the people so we have perspective when we speak, but we understand the gravitas and the urgency of the message. We are called to be messengers in this hour. Paul put it rightly. He says, is the law sinful in the book of Romans? Certainly not. Had it not been for the law, for the truth, I would not have known I was a sinner. And right now we're in a world that wants to just say everything's a preference. Everything's just a choice. But the truth is there is good and evil. There is right and wrong. And if we want to spare a great city judgment, then we need to understand we don't get to compromise the message. We have an obligation to communicate it in the spirit of God, in a spirit of loving kindness with perspective for the people that we live with. But we don't get to change the message. Are you hearing me today? Turn to the person next to you and say, Amen. Amen, amen. There is a time frame attached. And finally, and I'm going to ask the band to come as we come to a close. Point number four. Don't ever forget what God saved you from. Now you'd think like, like this story could end at chapter three. Jonah, the disobedient prophet, runs from God, finally wakes up to himself, is in a belly of a whale. God spits him out like direct service, Uber to Nineveh. Out he jumps, delivers the word of the Lord. The whole city, including the cows. This was a major revival, my friends. It does my animal, animal lover's heart good to know that even the cows were in sackcloth and ashes. So when you hear mooing in Nineveh, sorry, in heaven, you will understand why. That those, those cows were in Nineveh. But you think like, what a perfect ending. The whole, the whole city gets saved. Wow. End story there, Lord. But he doesn't end it there. And this is where he gets the microscope and he dials it a little more intently and says, Jonah, okay, now I want to look at you. Thank you for your obedience. But I just don't want your obedience. I want your heart. And I can see some corruption and some wickedness and some hatred in that heart of yours. And here's what happens. So Jonah in chapter number four becomes very angry, exceedingly angry at the fact that God spared the Ninevites. God, I wanted you to smite them, mighty smiter. And I'm here for it. He prayed to the Lord and said, Ah, oh Lord, was this not what I said when I was still in my country. And right here we see revealed the reason for Jonah's disobedience. Therefore, I fled to Tarshish. For I know that you are gracious and merciful God, slow to anger and abundant in loving kindness, one who relents from doing harm. Therefore, now, O oh Lord, please take my life from me. Can you see it? The drama queen is coming out. For it is better for me to die than to live. Can you imagine how broken you have to be to want to die rather than see people saved and experience the love, mercy and redemption of God? Then the Lord said to Jonah, and how beautiful is God? I mean, I would have been tempted to lightning bolt Jonah at this point. I would have been like redirecting the missile to Jonah. Five, four, three, two... Is it right for you to be angry? He doesn't even make a statement. He asks Jonah a question, which tells me there was a deep love for this rebellious prophet. In this story, we, we see love for both the sinner 
And the messenger of God, who's behaving like a freaking Pharisee, by the way, is it right for you to be angry? So Jonah went out of the city and sat on the east side of the city. There he made for himself a shelter and sat under it in the shade till he might see what would become of the city. And this is, this is a sad day. When you're sitting up on a perch waiting for judgment to strike. And the Lord God prepared an illustrative sermon for Jonah, a plant, and he made it come up over him that it might, shade for, might be shade for his head to deliver him from his misery. So Jonah was very grateful for the plant. But as morning dawned the next day, God prepared a worm. God's preparing a lot for this rebellious prophet. He prepares a worm. And so it damaged the plant, so it withered. And it happened when the sun arose that God prepared a vehement east wind and the sun beat on Jonah's head so that he grew faint. Then he wished death for himself again and said, it is better for me to die than to live. Then God said to Jonah, is it right for you to be angry about a plant? Do you really care more about climate change than you do about people? And he says, is it right for me to be angry? Yes, even to death. There he goes again. But the Lord said, wow, Jonah, you have pity on a plant for which you have not labored. You care more about stuff. And you didn't make it grow either. And it came to death. Uh, you didn't make it grow, excuse me. And it came up in a night and perished in a night. Should I not pity Nineveh? that great city in which are more than 120,000 persons who cannot discern between their right hand and their left, see this confusion, and much livestock? Should I not pity San Diego, that great city in which are more than 120,000 plus persons who cannot discern between their right hand and their left, awash in confusion? I love this final point because it reveals to us that God just doesn't want messengers. He doesn't just want a message. He wants our heart to be right. And He takes this moment at the last chapter of the book of Jonah to say, Jonah, thank you for being obedient, but your heart's messed up. Something's broken on the inside of this. The fact that you are walking through town still smelling of fish guts, bearing the residue of the fact that I showed mercy on you, but you are now wanting me to judge the same people that, who did the same thing in their rebellion and their perversion and their corruption that you did, that I forgave you of 40 days ago. It's a sad place when God's messengers have forgotten what God saved them from. You know, the Bible says in the book of Matthew, this is Jesus speaking, why are you so obsessed? And why do you look so intently at the speck in the eye of your brother and fail to notice the enormous redwood sticking out of your own eyeball? First, take a minute to remove the tree out of your own eye and then you will see clearly to help your brother remove his speck. We can move from being obsessed with the speck in the eye of our brother, looking at the speck, pointing out the speck to helping them when we understand there but for the grace of God go I. 
We have a city that needs saving and they're not gonna be saved by our judgment. God doesn't want us to be judges. He wants us to be witnesses. And the way that we do that is by understanding that when we allow God to address the stuff in our own eyeball, then we will see clearly and it will give us the perspective to be able to help our brother who is stuck in their sin and their folly. It changes your perspective. Instead of like pointing out, look at your speck, look at your splinter, you dirty sinner. Here's the perspective change. Oh my gosh, you've got a splinter. Oh shoot, I know what that's like. I had a whole tree in my eye once and it sucked. Now I have the right perspective to help you because I understand I was like you once and I'm never gonna lose that feeling. And God forgave me and He helped me and He can forgive you and help you too. Let me show you how. Do you see how this shifts? Do you see how God doesn't just want our obedience? He doesn't just want our voice. He wants our hearts to be right. Jesus spoke about it over and over again in the Gospels. He even spoke to His disciples, His closest, His pastors, His people, His peeps, His crew. And He said to them, when they said to Jesus, when Jesus was treated badly, He was offended. People offended Him, even though He didn't take on the offence. And the disciples said to Jesus, Jesus, do you want us to call down fire from heaven like Elijah and smite them and burn them up? And Jesus had to remind them, like I'm reminding us today. Oh my gosh, you don't know what spirit you're of. For the Son of Man did not come to the world to destroy men's lives, but to save them. And when you have that perspective, you'll find that you've got the right heart to be the messenger that God needs and revival will follow. Revival will be imminent. Somebody give God a huge shout of praise and thanks. As we go into this season, I'd love everybody to stand that we would be people that carry the Spirit of God. The answer to wokeness is not becoming a Pharisee. The answer to the world is not pointing out and judging the sins of people that don't know their right hand from their left. Yes, we're not allowed to compromise the message. The message is what the message is, but we're always to operate in a right spirit. We're not here to destroy men's lives, but to save them. And that's why this week we're gonna take responsibility for the storm. We're gonna turn some things around. We're gonna use our voice, which is our vote in a nation like this one, to right some wrongs that have been allowed to exist because a church was asleep. Lift your hand up, my friends. Father, I thank you. Right now, Father, we ask of you, Father, renew a right spirit in us that we would always remember to be carriers of the right spirit, that we come with truth in love, truth born from the womb of God, that we would continue to be the right representatives of heaven, of the kingdom in this hour. We declare over our nation right now, in the name of Jesus, America, you will be saved. America, you will return to your righteous, godly roots. We declare, Father, in this hour, the church will be ever elevated like in Isaiah 2.2. It will become the most important place on earth that streams of living people, people that you love would flow into it and find salvation and rest and turn to you and forsake their wicked ways and come into alignment as sons and daughters of God. In Jesus' name. And everybody said, Amen. 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 
Wow, what an amazing word. I hope you enjoyed that as much as I did. Hey, listen, for more information about our church, go to www.awakenchurch.com or subscribe to our YouTube channel if you haven't already and download our app. It is amazing. It is chock full of incredible messages, information about upcoming events, and you can even support our ministry if you feel so inclined. We loved having you with us today. We look forward to seeing you again. God bless you. Live a life that is transformative. Bye for now.